This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of the ligaments of the knee from the recon section on orthobullets.com. In this episode, we will first provide an overview of knee ligament function, then move on to discuss the lateral and medial structures of the knee by their layers, and then individually discuss details on the anterior cruciate ligament, posterior cruciate ligament, lateral collateral ligament, posterior lateral corner, medial collateral ligament, posterior medial corner, medial patellofemoral ligament, and the anterolateral ligament. First, it is important to remember the knee is a diarthrodial joint that allows simultaneous rotation and translation. We will start our discussion of the ligaments of the knee with an overview, discussing the primary and secondary functions of the ACL, PCL, LCL, PLC, and MCL. The primary function of the anterior cruciate ligament, or the ACL, is resistance of anterolateral displacement of the tibia on the femur. Its secondary function is resistance of varus displacement at zero degrees of flexion. The posterior cruciate ligament, or the PCL, resists posterior tibial displacement of the tibia on the femur, especially at 90 degrees of knee flexion. Its secondary function is resistance of varus displacement at zero degrees of flexion. The primary function of the lateral collateral ligament, or the LCL, is resistance of varus displacement at 30 degrees of knee flexion and its secondary function is to resist posterolateral rotatory displacement with flexion that is less than approximately 50 degrees. The primary function of the popliteofibular ligament and posterolateral corner, or PLC, is to resist posterolateral rotation of the tibia on the femur. Its secondary function is to resist varus angulation and posterior displacement of the tibia on the femur. And lastly, the primary function of the medial collateral ligament, or the MCL, is to resist valgus angulation. Its secondary function is to work in concert with the ACL to provide restraint to axial rotation. Moving on, it is useful to classify the lateral and medial structures of the knee by their layers. We will start with the lateral structures of the knee. Layer 1 of the lateral structures of the knee contains the iliotibial tract and the biceps femoris. In between layers 1 and 2 lies the common peroneal nerve. Layer 2 is comprised of the patellar retinaculum, and deep to layer 2, layer 3 is divided into superficial and deep portions. The superficial portion of layer 3 includes the lateral collateral ligament, fibular ligament, and the anterolateral ligament. In between the superficial and deep portions lies the lateral geniculate artery. And in the deep portion of layer 3, the arcuate ligament, coronary ligament, popliteus tendon, popliteofibular ligament, and the knee capsule are contained. Moving on to discuss the medial structures of the knee, these are also divided into three layers. Layer one of the medial structures of the knee includes the sartorius and the fascia, or the patellar retinaculum. The gracilis, semitendinosus, and saphenous nerve run in between layers one and layers two. Layer two includes the semimembranosus, superficial MCL, MPFL, and posterior oblique ligament. And layer 3 includes the deep medial collateral ligament, capsule, and the coronary ligament. We will start our deeper dive on the ligaments of the knee with discussing the ACL in detail. The function of the ACL is to prevent anterior translation of the tibia relative to the femur. Regarding the anatomy of the ACL, the ACL is extrasynovial but intracapsular. It originates from the lateral femoral condyle with the posterior lateral bundle originating posterior and distal to the anterior medial bundle on the femur. Its insertion on the tibia is broad and irregular, 
but generally inserts anterior and in between the intercondylar eminences of the tibia. The structure of the ACL is typically 33 mm by 11 mm in size and is comprised of two bundles, the anteromedial and posterolateral. The fibers of the anteromedial bundle are parallel in extension and loosen, whereas in flexion, the fibers are externally rotated and tighten. Again, the fibers of the anteromedial bundle are tight in flexion and loose in extension. The posterolateral bundle of the ACL prevents knee pivot shift, preventing internal rotation of the tibia with the knee near extension. It is tight in extension and loose in flexion. Again, the posterolateral bundle of the knee is tight in extension and loose in flexion. The blood supply of the anterior cruciate ligament is the medial geniculate artery, and the ACL contains significant innervation from the posterior articular branches of the tibial nerve. The ACL contains mechanoreceptors including Ruffini, Passini, Golgi tendon organs, and free nerve endings. The function of the innervation of the ACL is for proprioception and modulation of quadriceps function. The ACL is comprised of 90% type 1 collagen and 10% type 3 collagen. And finally, regarding the biomechanics of the ACL, the tensile strength of a native ACL is 2200 newtons, whereas the tensile strength of the bone patellar bone construct is 3000 newtons, and a quadrupled hamstring tendon is 4000 newtons. Moving on to discuss the posterior cruciate ligament, or the PCL, the function of the PCL is to prevent posterior translation of the tibia relative to the femur. The posterior cruciate ligament and posterolateral corner, or PLC, work in concert to resist posterior translation and posterolateral rotatory instability of the knee. Regarding the anatomy of the PCL, it is also extrasynovial but intracapsular. The PCL originates from the medial femoral condyle and inserts into the tibial sulcus. The structure of the PCL is generally 38 mm by 13 mm in size and contains two bundles, the anterolateral and posteromedial. The anterolateral bundle of the PCL is shorter, thicker, and stronger, and in double bundle reconstructions of the PCL should be tensioned in mid-flexion. The posteromedial bundle of the PCL is longer, thinner, and weaker, and in double bundle reconstructions should be tensioned in extension and high flexion. Tensioning in extension protects against hyperextension. The femoral insertion of the PCL is marked by the medial intercondylar ridge, which marks the proximal border of the femoral insertion, and the medial bifurcate ridge, which separates the anterolateral from posteromedial bundles. There are variable meniscofemoral ligaments that originate from the posterior horn of the lateral meniscus and insert into the substance of the PCL. These include the ligament of Humphrey, which is anterior to the PCL, and the ligament of Risberg, which is posterior to the PCL. The blood supply of the PCL is the medial geniculate artery. And finally, regarding biomechanics of the PCL, it has a strength of 2,500 newtons against posterior translation. To again briefly review the ACL and PCL bundles and their tightness in flexion or extension, Remember that regarding the ACL, the anteromedial bundle is tight in flexion and the posterolateral bundle is tight in extension. And regarding the PCL, the anterolateral bundle is tight in flexion and the posteromedial bundle is tight in extension. Moving on to discuss the lateral collateral ligament, or the LCL, 
also known as the fibular collateral ligament, the LCL functions to resist varus angulation and works in concert with the MCL to provide restraint to axial rotation. Regarding the anatomy of the LCL, it originates on the lateral femoral condyle posterior and superior to the origin of the popliteus. It then takes a path running superficial to the popliteus and inserting on the fibula anterior to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula. The capsule's most distal extent is just posterior to the fibula. The LCL is a cord-like structure and regarding its biomechanics it is tight in extension and lacks in flexion and it has a strength of 750 newtons against a varus stress. Moving on to discuss the posterolateral corner of the knee, the PLC works synergistically with the PCL to control external rotation and posterior translation of the knee. The posterolateral corner of the knee is comprised of various structures including the LCL, popliteus muscle and tendon, popliteofibular ligament, and the lateral capsule. The LCL contributes 295 newtons to the strength of the PLC, the popliteus muscle and tendon contributes 680 newtons, and the popliteofibular ligament contributes 229 newtons. Variable anatomy is included in the posterolateral corner of the knee, including the arcuate ligament, iliotibial band, and the fibulofibular ligament. Moving on to discuss the medial collateral ligament, or MCL, the MCL functions to resist valgus angulation and works in concert with the ACL to provide restraint to axial rotation. The MCL originates at the medial femoral condyle and inserts to the medial tibia extending down several centimeters. The structure of the MCL can be divided into two components, including a superficial and deep portion. The superficial portion, or the tibial collateral ligament, lies just deep to the gracilis and the semitendinosus. The superficial MCL originates from the medial femoral epicondyle and inserts into the periosteum of the proximal tibia, lying deep to the pes anserine. The superficial portion of the MCL contributes to 57 and 78% of medial knee stability at 5 and 25 degrees of knee flexion respectively. The superficial MCL is the primary stabilizer to valgus stress at all angles of knee flexion. The deep portion of the MCL, or the medial capsular ligament, is separated from the superficial portion of the MCL by a bursa. It attaches to the medial meniscus via the coronary ligament and is divided into the meniscofemoral and meniscotibial portions. The posterior fibers of the deep MCL blend with the posterior medial capsule and posterior oblique ligament. And finally, the deep MCL fibers and posterior medial capsule act as a secondary restraint to valgus stress at full knee extension. Regarding the biomechanics of the MCL, it has a strength of 4,000 newtons against the valgus stress. Moving on to discuss the posterior medial corner of the knee, the function of the posterior medial corner is important in rotatory stability. Regarding the anatomy of the posterior medial corner, the posterior medial corner lies deep to the MCL and is formed by the insertion of the semimembranosus, the posterior oblique ligament, the oblique popliteal ligament, and the posterior capsule. Note that the posterior oblique ligament resists valgus load and tibial internal rotation in full extension. Moving on to discuss the medial patellofemoral ligament, or the MPFL, the function of the MPFL is to provide restraint against lateral translation of the patella from 0 to 30 degrees of knee flexion. Regarding the characteristics of the MPFL, it has a low tension throughout flexion to extension, only applying 2 to 10 newtons of force. 
it is isometric between 0 and 90 degrees of flexion, then becomes slack beyond 90 degrees. The MPFL can withstand 200 newtons of force before tearing, which is a much lower load to failure than for example the ACL which has a force of 1725 newtons before failure. Regarding the anatomy of the MPFL, the MPFL lies in the second layer of the medial soft tissue complex and is comprised of two bundles. The short oblique bundle which inserts on the superior patellar pole and the inferior straight bundle. The femoral insertion of the MPFL is at the medial femoral condyle, distal to the adductor tubercle and proximal to the MCL attachment. This is also known as Schottel's point radiographically. Schottel's point is located 1.3 millimeters anterior to the posterior femoral diaphyseal cortex and 2.5 millimeters distal to the posterior origin of the medial femoral condyle. Schottel's point is located just proximal to the level of the posterior point on Blumensatz line. The patellar attachment of the MPFL is a fan-like structure inserting at the junction between the proximal and middle thirds of the supramedial border of the patella. Regarding the pathoanatomy of the MPFL, it is taught that tears off the femoral attachment are more common than the patellar attachment, however, some studies show otherwise. Following lateral patellar dislocations with MPFL tears, the risk of a second dislocation is 13%, with the risk of a third lateral patellar dislocation after a second being 50%. Finally, we will discuss the anterolateral ligament, or ALL. The function of the ALL is control of rotational stability. Regarding the anatomy of the anterolateral ligament, the ALL lies in layer 3 of the lateral structures of the knee along with the LCL. The characteristics of the ALL are that it has a width of 7 mm at the midpoint near the joint line, with the femoral attachment width being 8 mm and the tibial attachment width being 11 mm. The attachment of the femoral side of the ALL is the lateral femoral epicondyle, and the tibial sided attachment is midway between Gertie's tubercle and the head of the fibula. The ALL also has attachments to the middle third of the lateral meniscus body, with attachments of the meniscal tibial portion and the meniscal femoral portion. The blood supplied to the ALL is through the lateral inferior geniculate artery and vein, which are contained between the lateral meniscus and the ALL at the level of the joint line. Notably, there are no connections from the ALL to the IT band. And finally, notable pathoanatomy regarding the ALL is the Sagan fracture, which is associated with ACL rupture and represents an avulsion fracture of the ALL. Now that we've gotten a general overview of the ligaments of the knee, let's review a few questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question 1. A 28-year-old football player sustains a contact knee injury while being tackled. On physical exam, he has a 1A Lachman and a normal McMurray test. His posterior drawer, dial, and various stress tests are normal. He has pain and a 5mm opening on valgus stress test at 30 degrees of flexion. Which statement is true regarding the injured structure? 1. It resides between layers 1 and 2 on the medial side of the knee. 2. It inserts onto Gertie's tubercle. 3. It originates slightly posterior and proximal to the medial epicondyle. 4. It courses intraarticularly through the hiatus of the lateral meniscus. Or answer 5. It has an attachment between the adductor tubercle and medial epicondyle at Schottel's point. The correct answer is 3. It originates slightly posterior and proximal to the medial epicondyle. 
This clinical presentation is consistent with an injury to the superficial medial collateral ligament of the knee, which originates slightly posterior and proximal to the medial epicondyle. The superficial portion of the MCL is the primary stabilizer to valgus knee stress at all angles, contributing 57% and 78% of medial stability of the knee at 5 degrees and 25 degrees of knee flexion, respectively. Anatomic studies have shown that the superficial MCL originates approximately 3.2 millimeters proximal and 4.8 millimeters posterior from the medial femoral epicondyle and inserts into the proximal tibia's periosteum, deep to the pes anserine. The superficial MCL lies in layer 2, just deep to the gracilis and the semitendinosus tendons. Widgedix et al. in 2009 looked at radiographic identification of the primary medial knee structures including the superficial MCL. On lateral radiographs, they found that the attachment of the superficial MCL was an average of 6 millimeters from the medial epicondyle. In 2010, Widgedix et al. also reviewed injuries to the MCL and associated medial knee structures. They state that physical examination is the initial method of choice for the diagnosis of medial injuries through the application of a valgus load both at full knee extension and between 20 to 30 degrees of knee flexion. Treatment of isolated grade 3 injuries of the MCL or such injuries combined with an anterior cruciate ligament tear should start with non-operative treatment of the MCL due to high rates of success with non-operative treatment. If operative treatment is required, an anatomic repair or reconstruction is recommended. Reviewing the incorrect answers, answer 1 resides between layers 1 and 2 on the medial side of the knee is incorrect as the superficial MCL resides in layer 2. Answer 2, inserts into Gertie's tubercle, is incorrect as this describes the iliotibial band. Answer 4, courses intraarticularly through the hiatus of the lateral meniscus, is incorrect as this describes popliteus. And answer 5, has an attachment between the adductor tubercle and the medial epicondyle at Shuttles Point, is incorrect as this describes the medial patellofemoral ligament. Question 2. The function of which of the following structures is to resist internal tibial rotation with the knee in full extension? Answer 1. Anterior cruciate ligament. Answer 2. Iliotibial band. Answer 3. Popliteus tendon. Answer 4. Popliteofibular ligament. Or answer 5. Posterior oblique ligament. The correct answer is 5. Posterior oblique ligament. The primary function of the posterior oblique ligament is to resist internal tibial rotation with the knee in full extension. The posterior oblique ligament is a structure within the posterior medial corner of the knee with attachments proximally to the adductor tubercle of the femur and distally to the tibia and posterior knee capsule. The posterior oblique ligament and posterior medial capsule play a significant role in the prevention of additional posterior tibial translation in the knee in the setting of posterior cruciate ligament injury. They also act to resist internal tibial rotation with the knee in full extension. Griffith et al. reports that the posterior oblique ligament provides significant resistance to valgus and internal rotation forces with knee extension. They used a cadaver model and demonstrated that the superficial MCL resists valgus and external rotation forces more than the posterior oblique ligament, while the posterior oblique ligament is more involved in resisting internal rotation. Tybor et al. reviews the anatomy of the posterior medial corner of the knee. 
They report that failing to recognize injury to these structures may cause failure of the cruciate ligament reconstruction surgery and that reconstruction or repair of the postromedial corner may be indicated in the face of multiple ligament injuries. Last question. Isolated transection of the posterolateral bundle of the ACL has what effect on anterior translation and rotatory stability of the knee? Answer 1. Increased tibial translation and rotation at 30 degrees of flexion. 2. Increased tibial translation and rotation at 90 degrees of flexion. 3. Increased tibial translation at 30 degrees of flexion and increased rotation at 90 degrees of flexion. 4. Increased tibial translation at 90 degrees and negligible effect on rotatory stability. Or 5. Increased tibial translation at 30 degrees and negligible effect on rotatory stability. The correct answer is 1. Increased tibial translation and rotation at 30 degrees of flexion. Isolated transection of the posterolateral bundle of the ACL leads to increased tibial translation and rotation at 30 degrees of flexion. Zantop and Herbord et al. determined the influence of isolated deficiency of the anteromedial or posterolateral bundles of the ACL on resulting knee kinematics. They found that transection of the anteromedial bundle leads to increased anterior tibial translation at 90 degrees of knee flexion, whereas transection of the posterolateral bundle shows an increased anterior tibial translation as well as combined rotatory instability at 30 degrees. This rotatory stability provided by the posterolateral bundle prevents the pivot shift phenomenon found in ACL-deficient knees. Zantop and Wellman et al. performed a cadaveric study to determine the distances from the tibial and femoral center of the anteromedial and posterolateral bundles to the articular cartilage and meniscus. They concluded that the center of the femoral posterolateral bundle is shallow and inferior to the anteromedial bundle, and on the tibia, the anteromedial bundle lies anterior when compared with the typical single bundle ACL tunnel. That is all for this review about the ligaments of the knee. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or via the mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value so far from the OrthoBullets podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcast. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.